Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the Shadow of the GM podcast, with me, your host, GM Shadow. Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of Shadow of the GM podcast. Um, This one's kind of coming off the back of a very brief (laughs) call that I did on um, Spike Pit, Colin Green's show around about 5e um because of randomly a comment he had from a MIUI user about you know changing rules and games and what i want to talk about is the the evolution of rule zero through the different editions of dungeons and dragons so a lot of role-playing games have a conversation about the rule zero the golden rule etc and i want to kind of go through the editions of D as many of them as i can kind of scrabble through to talk about how that rule's changed over time and if it's in there and how it's kind of written and phrased and um maybe have a consideration about how that might affect people who are new to the game as each edition comes out might treat those rules and um, because i suspect that those of us that had a lot of role-playing experience kind of get rule zero and we know that there are no rules they're more like guidelines and you can change whatever you want and flip it around but i do wonder with the way those things are written these days whether that's actually a commonly held view but before that let's go on with some of the columns we've had so let's go to the first one Hey, Barry, it's Joe. And yeah, man, we are on the same wavelength about a lot of stuff. You mentioned how certain systems are more prone to the bad side of min-maxing, and I think that's absolutely the case. Like, you know, I'm a Pathfinder boy, and me and my group are just so, so the black sheep of the Pathfinder community because we aren't really into the bad kind of min-maxing. We like to role-play a little more. We like to get into our characters. That being said, there is this false dichotomy out there that you can't be a min-maxer and a role-player. Like, I don't really think that's the case. I just don't think it happens very often. But yeah, absolutely, man. Pathfinder, I mean, they don't call it Mathfinder for nothing. You need a degree in there to build good characters. And luckily, I have that degree. Peace out. Joe there from Hindsight List Cast. Um, yeah, that's what he said, that Mathfinder. I've never heard that one before. I like it. I might use that more often. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really like Pathfinder. I think I've said it before. I um, spent a lot of time playing 3 and 3.5. I used to call Pathfinder 3.75, uh, if it can be such a thing, because it was, to me, a bit like a natural progression from 3rd edition to... Um, well, sort of on from third edition, things like they, you know, improve the rules around move silently and hide into a stealth skill. Because so many debates in gaming things about whether you're moving silently or using st- uh, hide when you're like moving in the shadows. Because are you in the shadows or are you hiding? But you're moving, so does it move silently? But what if they look at you and not listening to you? Uh, you know, those kind of daft questions that you get. Whereas if it's just stealth, you know, it solves that problem. And the way they changed the, the grapple rule was really amazing in Pathfinder as well. I'm very jealous of how your Pathfinder group sounds because um, I'd love to have one of those groups and I probably would still play stuff like 3.5 and Pathfinder if I'd found more groups of that I mean fortunately when I was playing it with my own gaming group because they followed me through the systems we were playing at the time just because they were my natural gaming group I didn't really have an issue that they were really there to optimise the game they weren't really I guess focused on that they were just kind of gaming with us as friends um, but I know when I've gone back to it and things like Roll20 and stuff if you say you're going to play 3.5 Pathfinder I seem to attract those people because I think they're the ones who kind of naturally gravitate towards that system dare I say it um, but you know I don't really have a problem with it I used to like I said in my previous podcast I think I've been guilty of optimizing characters and maxing a bit in meta thinking I know when I played an Eberron campaign in third edition my character 
like he was two weapon fighting style and he used to carry like a bludgeoning weapon in one hand and a slashing weapon in the other hand but he also had a piercing weapon and it was all around you know that nice lovely damage reduction rule in the system um so i was obviously thinking very meta in that sense but you know i kind of felt like well you know i know that's going to come up so i'm being prepared in my example but i like to think that actually the character had a concept as well he you know so it wasn't just that those weapons you know were just there for that reason they kind of wrapped it into the story a little bit i don't go into too much but you know to try and have even if it was a spurious reason some sort of reason behind why he was so armed um so yeah um i do say it's definitely a false dichotomy i think you from example there i was trying to say that i didn't i did a bit of both i think you're right min maxing doesn't mean you're that way inclined like i said it's just i mean hopefully i gave some examples in my podcast of my friend who used to play it i, I loved playing with him i fortunately don't play with him much anymore that he he did a bit of both it was the case that he did really think about the characters and he researched a lot he like played a sorcerer one time and really worked at a good spell layout that wasn't never had magic missile had a character it's the first time i've ever seen anybody played a wizard or a sorcerer that didn't have magic missile because it was all about using things like color spray and things and illusion magic that he really used it again he'd researched it he'd kind of worked out through stuff he'd like maximize his character to do those kind of spells but then he played the character really well and the character had really good personality and so he actually played the personality whilst also doing those things it never felt like a, like i said before like a fudge it never felt like he just picked those things he kind of wrapped stuff together and the illusion magic it was a female that he was playing and the illusion magic was used to like try and seduce people and stuff and choose it as a way to get away with things she's a bit of an evil character so it's around about like the way she kind of conned people and so he kind of really wrapped it into the story of the character so to me that really worked and i think in my maybe it's just me being a bit of a soft touch but if you do that I kind of let you off with a lot more I guess because the optimization then fits the character concept so it's not just you know you bookkeeping I guess to try and do it anyway with that run out of the way shall move on to the next section which is talk a bit about the rule zero so to start my sort of analysis of rule zero I want to be all scientific and kind of go back to, I guess, original sources. So, like I said, a lot of people will come along and they'll say things like the rules, the guidelines, and let's kind of see a little bit where that came from. So, to go back to the original, original OD&D, since we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, if you have, if you're lucky enough to have a copy of the original Dungeons & Dragons booklets, if you look even on the introduction on page four, it states specifically in there, these rules are as complete as possible with the limitations imposed by the space of these three booklets. That is, they cover the major aspects of a fantasy campaign, but still remain flexible. As with any other set of miniatures rules, miniatures rules, which is interesting, they are guidelines to follow in designing your own fantastic metal, medieval campaign. They are there to provide the framework around which you build a game of simplicity or tremendous complexity. I mean, speak then. Your time and imagination are about the only limiting factors. So, that for me is quite a kind of conclusive, that point of view, from the original D&D. It very much says they're guidelines. You make it as simple or as complex as you like. It's a framework that you build from. It's interesting points about miniature rules, but that comes back from the origins from like chainmail and being miniature kind of skirmish rules originally. And I mean, that was old D&D. And I said, we'll kind of move on a little bit and sort of start moving through things. I think the next one I wanted to deal with before I move on to the more advanced rules, should we say, is if we look at the Holmes basics. So this is from... Uh, 1977 it was reprinted in 1978 so the ones edited by eric holmes for the basic rules again what does it say so if you look then when it talks a little bit further in the book and again on page four it does say um, a final word to the dungeon master from the authors these rules are intended as guidelines so there you go that word again guidelines no two dungeon masters will run their dungeon in quite the same way as anyone who has learned the game with one group and then transferred to another can easily attest you are sure to encounter situations not covered by these rules. 
improvise a greater probability that an event will occur and convert it into a die roll. Roll the number and see what happens. The game is intended to be fun, and the rules modified if the players desire. Do not hesitate to invent, create, experiment with new ideas. Imagination is the key to a good game. Enjoy. So again, we go back to this idea that these rules here <clears throat> are guidelines. It's not about these rules are written, you must follow them, stick to them, that's the perfect balance, etc. So both the old D&D and the original Basic both said very explicitly, these are guidelines, add things, change them, modify them. So I think that's very interesting when you look at an old school, old school perspective about how that game was probably taught, how it was intended and how it was run. So I guess next I want to start looking a little bit and move into more the advanced stage when AD&D came along. So with AD&D, Gary Gygax still in charge at this point in time, still writing the rules, and he says on page 8 of the Player's Handbook for AD&D, This game is unlike chess, and the rules are not cut and dried. In many places, they are guidelines and suggested methods only. This is part of the attraction of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and is integral to the game. Rules not understood should have appropriate questions directed at the publisher, blah blah blah. But that's the main thing. The main thing there is it does say that they're guidelines and suggested methods only. So again, here's the author giving you carte blanche to say, you don't have to follow these, the guidelines, you can do what you want, more or less. Moving on in time a little bit further, let's have a look at the next set of basics. So this is Moldvay Basic, 1980 Basic. And again, basic page 3, B3 as it says in there, what does it say about you know the rules? Does it say you should follow them? And it says, well, while the material in this booklet is referred to as rules, it is not really correct. Anything in this booklet and any other D&D booklets should be thought of as changeable anything that is a dungeon master referee thinks should be changed there's not to say that everything in the booklet should be disregarded all the materials being carefully thought out throughout and play tested so there you go again it says it it says change things it suggests in the rules that you can actually change those rules you don't have to follow them they can be changed so we've gone from the early inception right through to 1980 basic and we still have it in there about changeable rules and how they can be altered etc so again looking back at these old school things the old school method definitely is about guidelines changeable rules it's very much written in there right from the start that you don't have to follow things blindly so to carry on my trip down AD&D memory lane for rule zero, let's have a look at Metzner Basic. So this is now 1983, Frank Metzner. And I have to be said, this is the first time I was surprised by this, that it became a little bit more vague, if that can be the right word, about how you interpret the rules. And so there wasn't really that same thing at the start that I could find in the books. If anyone else can find it, please let me know, but I couldn't track it down, where it said about these are only guidelines, etc. What there is, a little example about DMs changing rules, and it talks about how dungeon masters should be fair, and they shouldn't, and the players aren't fighting the DM, which is always a good takeaway message from back in those days. But it says in here, for example, it's not fair to change the rules unless everyone agrees to the change. When you add optional rules, apply them evenly to everyone, players and monsters. Do not make exceptions, stick to the rules, and to be fair. Now see, this to me starts to add a little bit of ambiguity to it because it is talking about changing rules but it's also talking about sticking to the rules. So we have a bit more rigidity I feel in that statement. I think the main message possibly was still there from Frank Metzner, the idea that you can change rules is about getting everyone to agree and it's not the DM just changing things on the fly just to screw with the players. It's about the idea that you know you should sit down and agree which rules you do have and don't have, which optional ones. But I think this is the first time I kind of saw it creeping in a little bit when I was reviewing through it that it's not really explicit that these are all guidelines and that yeah you can just mess around with them as much as you like. So interesting. Again, Metzner Basic is also kind of lauded as one of those ones that, you know, people like playing. And I think 
from an old school point of view, if you play the earlier editions, you'd bring those things the guidelines through. And I don't think the intention of rewriting there was to suggest that you shouldn't. But I think it's interesting that if you came into those rules and they're your first ones, you might have a slightly different interpretation about how you rule on rulings, as you might have done had you played some of the more original ones. Just a bit of food for thought on that one. So now we should move on to the, the controversy. Let's kick Gary Gygax out and let's see what happens to the rules after we got rid of Gary and how that might change how those reflected. So here we are now, we're into the advanced rules, A, D, and D. None of your basic rubbish, this is more advanced. So come on, advanced obviously means better. You know, let's see how we go with that one. Um, Dungeon Master's Guide, A, D, and D, second edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Unfortunately, I don't have the first printing. I'm going off the revised printing. If anyone's got the first ones, they say anything different, let me know. But again, possibly more so. Getting even more scant here on rules and, you know, interpretations. One of the things I said before in my previous one is that the second edition was very much all about its optional rules and optional this and optional that. And so in theory, it's kind of implying optional chopping and changing. <clears throat> but it doesn't have that clear statement that Gary had a lot of his early works about these are guidelines, change them, etc. It does say, though, in one part, page nine of the DMG, in short, follow the rules as written if doing so improves your game. But by the same token, break the rules only if doing so improves your games. And if you actually read that section in a bit more depth, um, the whole point of the DMG is it talks about what the rules are there for, what they do, what changing them means. So it's very kind of, it's almost like it's trying to be educational, that version of the DMG about, you know, these are the rules, these are why we pick them, this is the balance. If you change them, this is how it's going to mess up the balance in the game. And it's very much about balance. Now, that's one of the things where I think as a player or a GM, you can either love or hate it, whether you love balance or you hate it. So there. Um, 1991 then, let's talk about the rules cyclopedia. So here's basic still again in this new revised form, nice lovely rules compendium, something I do actually like and enjoy. And in there, what does it say? Well, on page 144 it says, if a player complains about the way you're handling something in the game, try to listen to the objection. Be reasonable, he might be right. If you can fix a problem by changing a procedure, try to work out a reasonable compromise. For example, if the player says, you keep killing my character with poison, windbag, you might try reducing the number of poison traps and monsters you have in your campaign. Be careful not to change rules that could overbalance the game in the favour of the character. The game system is carefully balanced to provide fun for all while challenging the characters. Some complaints can be caused by the player's greed. It should be not too easy to get treasury experience. These things should be earned slowly using the guidelines given. So here again we have a bit of an interesting kind of, I don't want to say contradictory statement, but I don't think it's as clear and cut as it has been previously. It is implying that you can talk to players and that you can change rules. But again, it's coming back to, ooh, these rules are very carefully balanced. If you mess with them, you might mess up the game. And that's a point where I think this is where we see, in my mind, a real change in that sort of mindset. It's less that these are frameworks, you build on them and do what you want with them, use your imagination, imagination is the limit. It's more say, well, actually, we spent a lot of time building these rules and we've really well balanced them. So if you mess with them, you know, that's your own fault. You know, we did our best to make it a nice game. You're going to mess it up now by doing this. And I feel that implication starts to come through. And I don't know if that's just my reading of it. Um, but that's kind of how I feel when I read those little sections about, oh, but it's balanced. You know, you might cause them onto your hole here. Ooh, you know, but again, that's you as a DM. That to me comes from experience. I'm not sure that's necessary to kind of give those warnings. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that change. If you go from OD&D right through to at this point, second edition and Rule Cyclopedia, there seems to be very much a change of, you know, these are the rules. We put a lot of work into them, like I said, and then this is going to be changing the balance so you really ought to be careful and this is all the reasoning behind why we've got these and from a design point of view it's interesting to kind of read the rationale behind why they're there but from a DM point of view I'm not sure that matters if a rule's stopping the players having fun and that's the key thing and you feel it's alright to chuck it out it doesn't really matter about game balance I don't think but again that's my personal opinions on game balance and people are definitely out there to disagree 
So now we hurtle into the far future of the 21st century and we say, oh, TSR has now crumbled and fallen away and we replace now with Wizards of the Coast managing Dungeons and Dragons into its third edition. And in fact, we're going to be talking 3.5. So how does that deal with rules and guidelines? If we look on page six of Dungeon Master Guide, again, this is where we start seeing things that kind of reflect what we've seen a little bit previously. It doesn't really say these are just guidelines. It talks about how the DM is the final arbiter of the rules. It says good players always recognize you have the ultimate authority over game mechanics, even superseding something in the rule book. And it says good DMs, however, know not to change or overturn published rules without good logical justification so the players don't rebel. Ooh, rebelling players. To carry the responsibility, you need to know the rules. You're not required to memorize the rule books, blah, de, blah, etc., etc. So it does talk a little bit about, you know, how you can change the rules, but it does sort of imply that you need to actually really think very carefully before you do so. And this again kind of goes back to what we're seeing a bit, but, you know, almost like res respecting the rules and choosing the ones that work for you and then looking at optional ones, but. <clears throat> in a much more rigid style, so again we still moved away a bit from that sort of old almost rule zero where they're all just guidelines to really saying oh you can change them but you really have to think about it and I guess this maybe reflects a little bit about who people played 3rd edition now as we all know 3rd edition wasn't the last Wizards of the Coast edition now we have 4th edition and here we go again on the Dungeon Master's Guide for 4th edition back on page 189 there is creating house rules now this is kind of the thing, is it's not really a DM advice. I couldn't really find DM advice saying when DMing, don't worry about changing rules. I just found this thing about how you can create house rules. And it says, basically, house rules are variants and basic rules designed specifically for a particular DM's campaign. They are fun to your DM game by making it unique, reflecting specific traits of your world. The house rule also serves as a handy patch for game features that your group dislikes. The DM's rules cannot possibly account for a variety of campaigns, blah, 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 blah. If you disagree with how the rules handle something, changing them is within your rights. <clears throat> so here again, it does talk about the fact that you can actually change things, but again, it's a bit about, you know, using them as house rules, and everyone's house ruled since, you know, the word dot, but again, this kind of reinforces it. I would say, though, if anything, it's a bit of a relaxing, I guess, in what it said in third edition, because here it is kind of really saying <clears throat> that you should patch your game based on what your group like and doesn't like and that you can change them, and that is within your rights. Um, it does talk a little bit as well about what to think about before you do, like what do you want to change or add to it, How could, what would it accomplish, and you know, how's it going to go about this goal, etc. So, and then thinking very carefully. So we still see the sort of issue around about thinking very carefully before changing the rules, but I guess it's a bit of a relaxation. So let's now go fully up to date with the, the modern day. Let's have a look at 5th edition, our favourite edition out there now at the moment. And we have to ask the question, how has that changed? Now, love pushback I've seen people the more recent ones is a bit like people not wanting to change rules so you'd expect fifth edition to be very much rules or sacrosanct etc so again if you look in the dungeon master's guide here there's a chapter nine on dungeon mastering um, and it does actually say in there that you aren't limited by the rules in the player's handbook interesting the guidelines in this book and the rules in the player's handbook it talks about so someone once said that it talks about guidelines in the player's handbook but it doesn't actually does specifically say unless the rules in the player's handbook and guidelines in the dmg so the option chapter relate to many different parts of the game, etc. Um, some variants of rules, others which are entirely different. And so again, it doesn't really give you the same carte blanche that some of the other ones did by saying they're all guidelines. But it does sort of insinuate there that you do actually have the power to change things. It specifically says actually in that first paragraph, you can let your imagination run wild. So it does sort of go back to that first edition thing where it says use your imagination, your imagination is a limit. And though it doesn't actually say to look at everything if you want it does sort of imply that actually you could just do that you can choose different monsters make new ones change rules use guidelines etc 
And it does talk about how, you know, before you add a new rule, ask yourself, how is it going to improve the game? Will your players like it? So again, it's, that's probably just good advice in general, but any rules change. And <clears throat> it does say, then you have nothing to lose by giving it a try. Urge your players to provide feedback. If the rules are game element and functioning intended or isn't adding much to your game, you can refine it or ditch it. No matter what the rule source, a rule serves you, not the other way around. Now, I think that's quite interesting from 5th edition. Like I said... I've had a bit of kickback from people more recently as if, like, you know, you shouldn't be changing the rules in a sacrosanct. So I don't really done that deep dive, I guess, into what 5th edition said about rules. But if anything, it is saying there in that section that you can just change things around. You don't have to follow stuff blindly and do what it says. And I think that's quite interesting because, you know, like I thought, with originally thinking that it was more the old school games that suggested this, in actual fact, 5e has kind of a little bit gone back to that in what it says. So, you know, people talk about 5e being a bit over-complex, people are overpowered and stuff, but then it does say that for your group you should ditch it and change it to work how your group wants to play. So I think you're actually quite safe to say you have carte blanche, just what it says in there. Not that can anyone really stop you, I mean, which is that the coast aren't going to come around your house and knock on your door and say, oh, you're not using the rule book properly, get off it. You know, that's never going to happen anyway. So I don't know why anyone's so bothered about it, but I think it's worth pointing out to players that, you know, they do actually specifically say there that you can change rules based on how you want to play. So there you go. There's some food to thought for you. So just to summarise before I finish, if I can summarise such a mad ramble, um, when we talk about rule zero and how much you respect the rules and how much you can just change them, it is very much, I feel, up to you and the players to decide that. You know, like I said in that last little thing a bit flippantly, no one can actually come and tell you that you're playing D&D wrong in your group. Your players can tell you that. So that's why you need to work with your players and your players do tell you that, trust me. I've had that quite a few times. But in actual fact, as a DM, you do have power to do whatever you want to do with any rules. Um, <clears throat> no one can tell you otherwise. No one can say, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. And you might as well throw the rule book out and stuff that we had on Spike Pit. You know, people can say that and they do say that, but that doesn't stop you. They don't like that kind of thing. They just don't have to play your game. They can go and play somebody else who does like to be a bit more of a rules lawyer, should we say, and have to play by those rules. And the fact is, I would even say, I'm going to say, quote Joe on his thing about false dichotomies. I would say it's a false dichotomy to say that you... you couldn't be a rules lawyer and also then change rules because the whole point about the rules lawyering I guess is that once you've agreed the rules you stick to them and that's again sometimes fairly common sense to say that because otherwise people don't like it if the rules change every five minutes um, but I guess what I've noticed reading through the deep dive a little bit more on those particular areas is that there definitely seems to be like a bit of a, a swing a swing away and a swing back around the idea of whether the rules should be changed or not so initially the first early editions, the originals and early basics, etc., were very much saying these are guidelines, these are guidelines. I mean, OD&D said this is basically a very basic framework and build around it, which is very kind of liberal of it in a way, much more generic in some ways facing. And then as we hit around the second edition, third edition, there's really kind of much more a hiding of the advice, suggesting that you could change the rules. It's much more kind of hidden away in like the DM sections, away from where it was originally, which was more in the sort of upfront introduction almost to the game. And then also... And the fact it was kind of more saying, well, these rules have really been worked on, they're really balanced, you should be careful. And that kind of stuck around a little bit into 4th and 3rd, 4th and 5th edition. But what I did notice in 4th and 5th is it was starting to push back a bit more about encouraging you to do house rules. So like I said, 4th had a whole section on how you do house rules. And 5th edition went back to this thing about saying that it's only limited by your imagination. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the change in the staff who work at Wizards of the Coast. I mean, I know if you've ever watched Chris Perkins, who was a big 5th edition D&D Next kind of advocate in 4th edition when he was playing that. He very much, if you watch 
much from one game is that discard stuff on the fly all the time. I think he's very kind of lax when it comes to Dungeon Master. I think he's much more about the story, to be honest. <clears throat> but whether there was that sort of attitude in Wizards of the Coast and they kind of thought, well, we'll do the rules, but let's make it a bit more open, I don't know. But again, that little bit is kind of hidden away. There's all this book on rules everywhere and then sort of hiding in that small section is the thing about, well, actually, you don't have to follow these rules if you don't want to. You can change them. And I guess that to me that might be the key. Um, I've seen a lot of more modern games not that 5th edition isn't modern, but you know, ones that are written by people, I guess, who had more experience. They often put that real rule zero type thing at the start, where they talk about this book is guidelines, feel free not to use things you don't like to, it's up to you how to run them. And that's kind of missing now in D&D at the start. Like I said, it's more hidden in the DM section. Whether it's because they don't want players to think too much about that and think the DM's changing it all the time, I don't know. Again, I can't really comment on why people make these changes they make. But it's interesting to kind of see that swinging around. But then none of the editions ever said, you must follow the rules, don't break them. And so I do find it puzzling when players kind of come with that attitude. I guess from personal experience, I could get it if your DM changes rules all the time and you chop and change and you argue over them and like every five minutes you find there's something moved around and the goalpost server shifting. That would be annoying. That would always be annoying to everybody. <clears throat> but certainly if the GM DM is quite upfront at the start and says, this is what we're going to do. These are the house rules I'm going to use. Everybody happy with that? Has anyone got any problems? Then really there shouldn't be any issues. You should just agree. Yeah, that's what you're going to do and why you like them and why you don't like them. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Um... That took a bit longer than I was expecting to to make that podcast just because of life and work and things. But let me have some feedback. If you know anything opposite to what I said, if you know some entries somewhere else that contradict what I said, please feel free to ring in and let me know. Uh, I'm here on Anchor. You can catch me on Twitter at GMShadow. I'm also available to email at GMShadow at Hotmail.com. So drop me a line there if you want to. And like I said, keep on listening and uh, keep on gaming. Mm-hmm.